First of all, thank you so much, Roxanne, for making the time. I know you're extremely busy, so I really appreciate it. Uh, means a lot. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with the elephant in the room, uh, Sequoia. <laughs> Is that the elephant? No, I don't know. I I told some friends that I was having you on. They're like, please ask her how I can get money from Sequoia. I was like, okay, I'll ask her that first thing. So you can tune in for five minutes and then leave the show. So good, good. Yeah, all the money at Sequoia goes through me. Exactly. Um, All of it, right? That was the whole whole point I had you on. I'm joking. But uh, you've been a scout before for Atomico, wasn't it? Wasn't that it? Yeah, exactly. And Atomico is awesome. We all love them in Europe and also around the world. So tell me about what is it what is the scouting program like and 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 how is it what is what's what's up with that tell me about that yeah so i mean scouting there's a lot of different models to scouting programs so i think uh, sequoia and atomico are very similar um in that they both give you they give people outside of the fund uh a certain allocation um at atomico it was 100k um to invest over a year in minimum two companies and then obviously the scout can make a decision, is it more? How much do they put into each company? Um, and it's a very kind of light investment decision procedure. It's not like when you work for a fund and you have to go through, like, I don't know how many rounds of investment committees. Um, so usually you you kind of write a memo, you get it to the, the fund, the fund okays the deal, and it goes through. But I think what's interesting about scout deals actually maybe a misconception um, is that uh, it's kind of meant for the fund to have an eye on the companies before they're raising a later stage. So for example, at Atomico, they're not super active in the seed stage. They come in usually series A, maybe a late seed, but they're not going to put in like, these are, we're talking about like angel, business angel checks. Yeah, like 50, 100, you said, right? That was kind of, even less, even less. less. Sometimes it's like, you know, 20K, something like that. Um, And so it's actually a way for them to get into these deals super early, but in order to not create bad signaling because they might not come in at a later stage it doesn't actually carry the fund's name so people aren't allowed to say when you do a scout deal it's actually not sequoia that invests it's actually not atomico that invests that's oh okay very interesting so in a way there's limited downside for them which uh which for whatever reason right but I think it's it's so. Is Sequoia different to Atomico in that sense, or are they all are this? Is no, it similar? they're all the same because all the funds have to be careful. I mean, if 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 you know they're coming in, um, if it, if it were to have the same name and then they were to not put in at a later stage, I think all the other funds would back out, right? Uh, it makes so much more sense why it's all a little secretive, not secretive, but <laughs> but exactly. but but how it's not being promoted, like how every single TechCrunch article isn't about all of you scouts all over the world, right? Because I think. It's almost like you have to, I mean, you most most Sequoia or Atomico Scouts talk about it on their personal social or in their circles, but it's not something you can go on the website and find, right? So, exactly. So exactly. I, it makes sense. It makes a lot. And I think it's also really smart and, and to sort of take a book from the real sort of sports scouting world, that's how they do it as well. You almost never know when the scouts are around, so to speak, you know, in the sporting yeah. analogy. So how long have you been a Sequoia scout and how's that been uh, with your very free schedule of doing nothing <laughs> else? <laughs> um, it's been uh, since I, October that I've been with Sequoia. Um, and yeah, it's been going really, really well, actually. I think they have a very solid brand. Um, I've been loving it just because I've, I've actually been a lot more active this time. I think um, with Atomico, it was my first time being a scout. And I think I, 
uh, I think I kind of got it, but didn't really get it. And I also think I had to overcome some like mental hurdles. I'd never made an investment before. And this time I kind of knew what I really wanted to get out of it. So uh, it's been it's been really great so far. Awesome. So uh, how do I get money from Sequoia again? <laughs> Let's get back to the real question. Get in touch with Sequoia. I think actually, no, I think Scouts, it's a good place to start, especially if it's an early stage company. I mean, it opens the door for a later uh, possible investment with Sequoia. But otherwise, the best way to get Sequoia money is to go straight to Sequoia. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and if we and if we if we just if we just talk about um, specifically in your case, what are the kind of startups what stage are you looking at uh, investing? Um, you know, just talk a little bit about the kind of thesis you're going out with. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I don't, I don't like to call it a thesis because I'm willing to make a ton of exceptions, but what I'm really comfortable with, I love companies that will obviously have uh, a strong connection to France because I feel like it's a market I understand well and that I have a lot of network in um, and that I can provide value. So if you're a French company or a company that is going to have like a solid French uh, strategy or something, I, I want to talk to you. I love B2B SaaS. Um, I love anything that's kind of in the B2B space because I feel like, well, at Station F, like we, we can kind of also leverage a little bit the community that we have here. And I know something about that. But I've, I've done some deals way out of this. I can't share the deals I've done because they haven't all been communicated yet. But I've done stuff that I'm like, Oh my God, I never thought I'd be investing in this. <laughs> what I'm what I'm totally less comfortable with is if there's a lot of R&D involved because I just, um, I'm not super comfortable with the funding cycles. I like to see some traction, some commercialization when I'm investing. Awesome. Uh, so uh, to the three friends who asked me to ask this question, now you can leave the show and we'll continue <laughs> with the rest. Um, on investments, because on your Instagram, uh, you've talked about a couple of investments. Uh, is it Biloba, Colette Club, and uh, Foodvisor, mm -hmm. right? Those are the three you mentioned. Um, they seem French-focused to a certain extent for now. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but could you talk to me about why you invested in them? And, and are, they, are they sort of your personal, uh, through your personal uh, angel? Um, or is it sort of a mix of something? Sure. Yeah, actually, so Foodvisor was one that I did through Atomico. Um, but actually, Colette and Biloba, those are personal. I actually, between Atomico and Sequoia, <laughs> I did a few personal checks as well. Tiny checks. I want to insist on this. People come to me, they think I have loads of cash. I make really small checks. Um, yeah, I, I've also angel invested in the past and <laughs> all the people I invested money in, they were like, wait a minute, I thought you were loaded. You were Kosla. I'm like, oh, well, wrong Kosla. Uh, but sorry, sorry for you. You know, but hey, I got in. Yeah, exactly. But. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So uh, why did I invest in those? I think, well, first of all, I, I really love the team. I love teams that I feel like they go fast. Mm. Uh, they execute really well. I think in the case of uh, Foodvisor, the first time I met the team, the team was, they already had a great traction um, and they were, you know, their numbers were really growing very fast. They had a lot of support from Apple. Um, really loved, really loved that team. And then Biloba, I think I just really connected also with the founder's vision. Um, you know, it's it's a messaging app for parents and pediatricians. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I uh, downloaded the English version Um and, oh, yeah. and and I mean, just I went on the website and I was like, this is awesome. I mean, yeah. I think I think w one of the things I want to touch on in a second is that sort of uh, for Europe to succeed, what do we need to do? <laughs> uh, but mm. uh, that's a small question we'll tackle in a minute. Uh, but uh, talking about sort of Biloba, was you mentioned 
a sort of staying away from R&D, but isn't isn't medic this feels a little medical-ish, right? How how do no, they this, I mean it's a, it's a communications platform. Okay, got it. Right? So I mean it was a lot about kind of bringing chat to the medical space. Yeah. Um, which I really thought like god, how does this not exist? And I loved I loved that because I think um I'm someone that like, you know, if I could pick between chat and a webinar <laughs> mm. uh, or like a web consulting, I'm going to go through chat. So it it was a vision that really spoke to me. And then Colette, um, they have a supervision as well around um, bringing seniors and students together for co-living. And I just thought like that's something when I was a student that I would have totally looked into. Um, and I think it's a great way. It's a kind of I, I like also the value behind that because it's a great way to also kind of connect people that today may not feel connected, especially when you know seniors may be living alone, need help, want to be connected to younger populations. And so they have this kind of approach of no empty room. But I love that they're connecting these two populations that today don't seem to overlap much. Okay, so Biloba is um, sort of uh, chatting with uh, sort of pedi- connecting uh, parents to pediatricians, right? That's the focus exactly, there. Yeah. Colette mm-hmm. Club is connecting elderly to young people mm-hmm. to live together, uh, and food advisors around food nutrition, right? Sort of, isn't that exactly. the focus? Great. So, if I, it sounds like clearly your, you know, the focus is around finding an area and making an improvement that doesn't take a long time right the the and of course there's other other parts to it yes and no i mean getting people to live together i think that's a (laughs) yeah yeah totally but but my personal experience because i moved to paris right after high school from india and i actually did live with uh, an older couple uh who had a who sort of gave a room out in their house and i remember sort of you know the incentives can be aligned pretty quickly right because there's i think there's it's it's interesting just depends on how you do it so Mm. Um, but thank you so much. That's awesome to talk about these investments. I wanted to bring them up because, you know, you come on, you're on media a lot. So I wanted to try to start off with some slightly <laughs> different questions. <laughs> um, and a little bit about your background might be nice because normally my show is a bit longer than one hour, but we only have an hour. So uh, I want to try to sort of talk about how did you... Um, end up in France and what was the interest about France because it seems like it, it was quite early right you already were studying something related to France or French studies way back yeah uh, and then kind of you moved to I mean and I remember when we met uh, in Amsterdam uh, what is it now almost feels like 10 years ago or something um, or maybe a little less but you know you always I was like oh she's French but she speaks great French but she's you know Amer- <laughs> sounds American She, what's happening here you know <laughs> Yeah, so um, you got me because the, the the question about why I like France, whenever people ask me, I'm like, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, I think growing up in the U.S., uh, obviously, I'm a first generation uh, uh, Iranian born American in the U.S. And I don't know, I think I always kind of was attracted to something a bit international. I think, you know, I, I definitely I feel American, but I also feel something else. Um, and, you know, I think also my, my, my mom, she had grown up in Iran when, uh, you know, they had French lycée and she speaks a little bit of French. We never, I never heard French in the house, but she had a couple of French books. And I think I was just kind of like, kind of exposed to it a little bit growing up. And then another thing was just, I was just rebellious. So in California, when everybody wants to take Spanish, 
I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And so I took French. And I didn't really think, I think when you sign up for, you know, language in school, you don't really think it's going to go anywhere. But over time, I actually grew super intrigued. And I was like, wow, it, you know, going somewhere new, it's, it's almost kind of like being exposed to like a complete adventure. Um, and so with time, I just got really immersed in it. And then when I actually came to live here, I came to study here one year when I was um, in university. And I just felt like, oh, my God, I connect with these values and this way of life. And, you know, all the stuff that you, people complain about when they come to France. I loved it. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, the protests are great. <laughs> so um, I, I actually started to envision my life here. When I went back to the U.S., I had a job out of uh, university. My first job was to convince U.S. Silicon Valley tech companies uh, Facebook, Twitter, you know, the guys who didn't have offices in France at the time had to go and convince them to open offices in France. That was my job. And they all were just like, what the hell? Like, you're this American girl fresh out of school. What are you doing? So, and I, after a while, I thought, well, I'm going to go to France, live there, study there, you know, and I, I wanted to kind of find out because every time I would push France, I would hear all these cliches about how impossible it was to do business there. And when I came here and I discovered the reality, this like, incredible startup ecosystem that's like just starting to develop i totally fell in love with the place so and and it's it's interesting because it sounds like i mean you're f you grew up in palo alto right uh and, yeah, I and and i think to me it's really it's almost almost an oxymoron in a funny way because you weren't it seems like you were you weren't interested in what was happening there at the time right and i think or maybe you were correct me if i'm wrong but it's just it's just funny to think about that you know you left quote unquote what many consider the mecca of technology right to bring some bring that to france or to find or to help france develop its own just it's just interesting absolutely to when i first moved here people were like you're crazy like you like startups you came from palo alto you moved to france like go home what are you doing here <laughs> um but actually i found this way more inspiring because in silicon valley i felt everything already existed uh to kind of find to have a personal impact I just felt like, you know, you're just one person within like the sea of people that work in tech. And here, when I came here, I just felt like, wow, there's so much to build in the ecosystem. Like as an individual, I could really make a difference. Um, and that's where I kind of found meaning. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I didn't have a similar path, but I moved to moved to Paris was my first city out of India to live in as a 17 year old uh, guy studying French Alliance Francaise. So I remember I also remember this idea of saying that, oh, everything's in Silicon Valley. I sort of felt like I was missing out and the entire time. But sort of, you know, because I'm Indian and the the visa situation isn't always easy. And thank God Trump's gone. It becomes a little easier now. Uh, <laughs> but what was interesting, sort of turning that around and saying that I could do something small here. And for me, I ended up uh, studying and staying in, in, the, in the Netherlands for a bit. Um, it's exactly the same feeling, right? You can do something on your own and has a bigger impact because not many people are doing that here. Exactly. Uh, and that that's, and I mean, now almost, it feels like it's 180 degrees, right? Like a st Station F or Station F is the largest startup campus in the world. And that's in, you know, in an area in Paris, which you wouldn't expect <laughs> one of the larger buildings yeah. to exist. Um, tell me, because I think that story has kind of been beaten to death and you can watch videos online. But what I'm really interested in is 
the conversation between you and Xavier, how did that <laughs> come about? Because you were in a, it felt like you were driving in a different car going fine. And then there was a bit of a, you know, handbrake and turn. Talk to me about what happened there, those early moments and, and, and uh, where is Station F uh, now and all that fun stuff. Yeah, well, people love the, the they want to know, like, how, what was the conversation? Because, <laughs> because I mean, I would love to have him on this show because he seems like, I mean, like pretty much Batman for the, for the, you know, sort of French ecosystem. He is, he is our Batman. I love that. I'm going to start introducing him like that. Yeah, because um, I just, I just think he's cool. I mean, he's a good looking like French dude, you know, and like, I'm like, he's into tech. Okay, cool. Yeah. For since before I was born. Okay. Amazing. So I got to talk to this dude at some point, but sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, like, I when I moved to France, I started working for TechCrunch, and that was how I initially got in touch with Xavier. I met him at an event at Microsoft when Steve Ballmer came to Paris. Um, and I was a bit surprised because someone introduced me to him, and I'm thinking, like, God, this billionaire, uh, he's never going to have any interest in what I have to say. And he's like, oh, you're the girl from TechCrunch. I read your stuff. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but we stayed in touch, and, like, every now and then he would actually send me um, like you know, a topic or a comment on an article, which was great. Uh, and then out of the blue, I think it was like 2013, I got an email from him. And I think the title of the email is like, do you have trouble with jet lag? And I'm like, oh my God, where's this going? And I opened the email and a little bit freaked out. And he's like, I have this project and I need someone to travel a little bit and give me some you know, feedback and inspiration on what they see around the world. And I was totally interested, but I was like, look, I work at Microsoft. I'm not going to be able to travel around the world right now, but I'm in San Francisco, so I can check out, you know, some stuff for you here. I can go to a couple other nearby countries. Um, and so we just started kind of like I visited a couple of places and then I shared my thoughts with him, like in bullet point format. And he was like, great, come meet my architects. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, OK, I don't know what the what will I ever say to your architects, but uh, I think I understood about 2% of that meeting because French architectural vocabulary was not one of my strong suits. And he invited me again to meet his architects. And that was when I was like, okay, what's what's going on here? Um, and so we had this discussion where he was like, well, do you like my project? What, what would you like to do? And I'm not going to short sell myself. So I just said everything. And he's like, great, why don't you do everything? And that was literally the interview process. Uh, there was no CV. He didn't check. He he wanted to know, do I like France and do I see my life in France? And of course, you know, that that was the truth. That's how I saw myself. Uh, and that was really the, the extent of the whole discussion. There's a couple of things I like about that. One of them is that, you know, for anyone, for, you know, founders who are going to listen to this or people, you know, starting companies, just just don't tell people you're offering them a job and just start the job <laughs> start them on the work and then be like hey you want to do this or not and you're having fun you know i think uh, true, that's, that's probably the best uh, piece of advice i'm going to use for sure <laughs> from now on uh but besides that i think what's interesting is that because ever since station station f started right um it's in this iconic location, right, uh, in Paris, uh, and and a lot. It's I mean, it's almost it almost it's almost a f sort of um, architectural manifestation of Xavier. I feel based on what you just told me about mm -hmm. him, because you would think this place would be uptight, you know, in one of the most expensive areas in Paris, this massive building, but it's startups in there, you know. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of also interesting to me, 
is it's very French in the sense that it's very beautiful and, you know, kind of it, it's important location, all that fun stuff. You know, LVMH is very close to you guys. I know it because I used to work for them. Um, and But you're not like that. And I think that's exciting. That's, to me, very inspiring because you have startups, you have, you know, companies in there uh, run by ex-convicts doing amazing stuff. <laughs> you know, you have you have founders from all over the world coming into 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 France and into Paris. Into, I wouldn't say people think of Paris as the top of their list. You know, five years ago when they would come, they would think of startup cities, but it's getting there. And and mm. and and Station F and you and Xavier and a bunch of other people, along with the French government, are making that happen. Right. Um, a quick question on. I've always wanted to ask you this. Right. Um, why do so many kings and princes and world leaders come to your campus <laughs> like what's happening i mean i get the startup point but <laughs> you know yeah um i've asked myself that question too i think uh, yeah we, we have had a lot of like world leaders we've had a lot of presidents and prime ministers and royal families uh i when we opened station f i was you know hoping and expecting to a certain extent that yeah we'll attract a tech audience and hopefully a very good caliber I was never expecting the political attention that we got. I think part of it is because in many ways, um, well, first of all, President Macron inaugurated it, and I think that brought a certain credibility and attention to the project. But I also think that today, um, it's actually something the French state is very proud of to say, look, we're not just the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre. Look, we have all these young companies. And so I, I think also, you know, they, they help attract some of these leaders. And so we get contacted, you know, whenever there's an official visit for anyone, um, Station F somehow ends up on the list. And we've been fortunate. And I, I think also it really, you know, people can maybe question what benefit does that actually provide to the startups? I think it provides them a ton of credibility. And I also think it strengthens ecosystems elsewhere. I think um, we've had a lot of presidents come to Station F and as they're leaving, they go, I want to do this in my country. We'll be in touch so that we can make that happen. And I just think, well, that's really great because your country's ecosystem is probably a little bit behind where France is today. And we could help you, you know, bring it up to speed and make that happen and create opportunities for tons of people. It's it's so important. I think that point you just made, and and I I live in Copenhagen now, and the scene here, along with my my, my time in Amsterdam, right? There's there's things happening, but it's so bloody slow, <laughs> you know. It just it's it's almost kind of like everyone just keeps looking at San Francisco or, or or Silicon Valley still, and is that that's the only way to do it? And I feel like hey, can we just look at what's happening here? And can we focus a bit more on that? And it's super nice that, you know, Station F is doing that for France and for Europe in general, I think. Uh, and that's, uh, it's exciting. So well, I want to share a story with you because you're based in, in Denmark and uh, we're just talking about world leaders that have come to Station F. So we had Prince of Denmark uh, come to, to visit. Um, and every time we have an official visit, you know, there's tons of like security checks and protocol, you know, papers and flyers and briefings and things like that. So for the Prince of Denmark, they gave me this briefing that says I have to curtsy for him. <laughs> and I, I every time we get someone royal, I'm like, oh, my oh God, this damn, is really, this is really intense. I don't know if I can do the whole thing. 
Um, and I've told Zevi a few times, like, he, usually he does those visits with me. I'll tell him, like, I can't do, I can't call them, like, you know. Have Your to, majesty, like, highness, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I, can't do, I can't do that. But for this one, they were all really insisting. Everybody was like, no, you really have to curtsy. So we go out to welcome uh, the prince, and he gets out of the car, and I curtsy. And him and Xavier just gave me this look like, what are you doing? And my whole team watched me and started laughing. <laughs> and I felt like such an idiot. Oh, <laughs> He's actually lovely, super laid back. Uh, he talked to a lot of startups and staff that worked here while yeah. he was here. I hung out with him. I hung out with him at a festival. I hung out with him at a at a at a music festival a couple of years ago. Like I didn't know he was the crown prince. I think it's the crown prince you're talking about, uh, who's going to be the next king. Uh, but uh, so yeah, maybe the curtsy was in order. But anyway, so everyone made so much fun of me, and that is by far one of my favorite visits. That that's that's awesome. When I run into him next time on my run <laughs> next to the palace, I'll I'll let him know. <laughs> I will. Um, no, but I think I think what's interesting uh, is that you know clearly I think people people have this uh, perception right of of uh, Station F of startup accelerators of campuses of you know all these spaces, and and I'm 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 also of the school of kind of just build your startup right just go build it, mm -hmm. and then you don't need help or if you need help you'll find it, and I think there is such an important place in the in an ecosystem for a place like station f for accelerators for you know angel investors because i think when you don't have those right it's just so much harder it's hard mm -hmm. as it is starting a company it's hard as it is launching a startup um and and normally you know not everyone uh, has um has the luck of having a, a you know a collison brother in their family so to speak uh, or siblings or people close by who are geniuses right but doesn't mean you don't you shouldn't dream and go do it and mm -hmm. i think what's nice uh and and awesome about sort of station f along with you know a couple other people that are doing it in europe uh is that you s it seems approachable and you're trying really hard to make it open and welcoming for, for other people right can you talk to me a little bit about the kinds of things you're doing besides just the quote-unquote regular tech startup stuff yeah, so I think actually you brought up a really good point, and that was actually kind of the, the vision that Zevia had when he wanted to do this project, was it's not just about having a big building and filling it with startups. Uh, it's about making entrepreneurship accessible and showing that really anyone can be an entrepreneur. And that was something we had in mind from the beginning. Um, Zevia is someone who doesn't come from the French elite. Uh, all, all of his projects kind of carry this message. So he's also started a free coding school uh, in the north of Paris, um, and they've, they've now expanded to other locations around the world. But uh, essentially, the way you get into that school is you hack your way in. <laughs> uh, 42, right? That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I tried. I failed. I'm, I'm not a good developer. <laughs> so, anyway. But, yeah, so I think, I think that's kind of the philosophy. And so with Station F, uh, we knew from the beginning that we were going to have at least, uh, you know, a, a core around diversity. Um, and I think it's also, you know, something that was very important to me. So that aligned really well. Um, so when we approach diversity, we come at it from multiple levels. I think obviously uh, international is really important for some for a project like this because you're not going to fill an incredible space with top startups if they're all coming from just France. And I also think we want tomorrow's companies to be global. And so there was a huge aspect of international that we really thought about and were very deliberate about. Um, the second one, obviously, women, because women are still a minority, and we do a lot to kind of support uh, women uh, on campus. 
But the third population, which is the one that I think the ecosystem, we've just started talking about it, but there's like, you know, the projects that we're doing are just not ambitious and impactful enough yet uh, to really cater to this population. They're people coming from underprivileged backgrounds. And so we decided to launch a program dedicated to uh, those people. These are people that we don't define what it means to be underprivileged. We give examples, but we let people self-identify because we can't imagine everything that someone could have been through. Um, but they could be people who didn't have any higher education. They're refugees. They're former convicts. They're maybe a former homeless people. I mean, we've had all of these kinds of profiles apply, and some even participate. Um, and so th that's really the program is about you are accepted to that program. You can come to Station F for free for one year, and you're actually integrated into an existing program. You're given additional resources and mentoring um, because sometimes you don't have all of the, the kind of baggage that a lot of the other people who've been in the ecosystem for a while have. But the idea is not about, you know, we have a program, a diversity program, we put it in a corner. It's really we integrate you and we bring you up to speed with everybody else. And today we're actually seeing companies from that program that are measuring up to some of the top companies on campus that's 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 so awesome and i think something i want to i want to really highlight there because um um have you heard of a a woman called ayan harsiali have you heard of her no i haven't uh she's uh originally is from somalia and and uh, she's a amazing amazing woman i, I heard I, she was on a on the joe rogan podcast uh, the other day uh, but she's written a bunch of books and, and and she was on there promoting her new book called Prey. It's about uh, violence, uh, you know, against towards women in certain culture, in certain cultures. And, and it's it's amazing. It's, everyone should read it. But but what was interesting to me was that she talked about her journey uh, to Europe and to Holland, where she actually, uh, you know, got asylum and and then studied Dutch and went to Leiden University and became, you know, a member of parliament. And then, you know, I think to me, what's what's amazing about that story and there's many amazing things but what was really amazing was that she was able to come to holland and get asylum and change her life you know mm. and and if if we if we want to believe that human beings are created equally and we all have human rights then it should mean that everyone should have the chance to do something right the the opportunity to to work hard the opportunity to to not be enslaved because of a certain color of their skin or religion or where they're born um we're not there yet at all and, and i think and i think one of the big surprises that people who have not been to paris and not not been to france will have is that there are a lot of people who are you know having a really 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 tough time in life uh, as many other places in the world but and i think one thing what's really inspiring to me is that like you guys are doing this you're not just talking about it right and i think that's really cool and and it's almost i would think the coolest thing about station f is this right because at the end of the day there's so many founders so many entrepreneurs so many people with an idea to start something that get ignored that no one looks at them because they're the wrong whatever right color region sex whatever you want to call it but who the gives a fuck who gives a fuck about that what about the idea what about the actual you know <laughs> work <laughs> And I yeah. think, and I think, and I think it goes beyond just, um, you know, sort of the, the, you know, the, the things that you're talking about, which is in your face, you know, it's even in the nuances where a lot of the investments that are made by venture capitalists, a lot of the investments that are made by, you know, uh, uh, these big firms or smaller firms, right, 
are almost always in the same areas, right? It's kind of like, can we diversify a little bit? And it's happening, right? Uh, it's awesome to see it happening. But I just think more needs to be done there also because it's going to create more value and it's going to be, you know, uh, a better outcome. So, yeah, but awesome. Well, actually, I think you pointed to something really important. Um, a lot of people think when we talk about diversity, like, it's it's like a nice to have it's uh, you know political looks good if you say you do it but what value does it really provide um but i actually think it's a huge huge risk for the ecosystem uh if we are completely overlooking an entire population uh because you know exactly as you just said these people have different ideas they think about the world differently uh, they're exposed to different problems. And so actually, it's been fascinating to see how some of our fighters, I mean, first of all, the problems that they're working on, the way that they innovate. I mean, what's really funny to me is that they actually really have a hacker mindset. And these people, they get shit done. <laughs> you know, they do it very, very differently from other entrepreneurs on campus that they are following like lean canvas methodology or whatever. Um, but they do it. And I love that. And, and so that's sorry, you I call think. them fighters. So it's, it's called the fighter program. Is that what it's called? Exactly. Okay, exactly great. Awesome. Um, but yeah, they, re they really are fighters. And, <laughs> and I think, and I think coming from India, right. Growing up, uh, in, in India and not, not being sort of of an elite class just growing up, you know, middle-class, um, you're sort of exposed to this. Uh, now it's called jugaad, which is a Hindi word for it. Just kind of getting shit done, pretty much. And I think it's it's awesome that you know if it's awesome that this can be applied out of um, sorry this can be applied to the startup world instead of just sort of making it in the streets. You know, instead of just yeah. selling drugs, or instead of kind of doing the things which uh, are unfortunately you know much easier for people in in yeah. the, in in, in um, the areas where you don't have the opportunity to get out and it's nice that they can go on a website they can apply and they have the chance i mean yeah. amazing isn't that what tech is supposed to be about <laughs> so yeah. i think it's nice that it, not nice is an understatement sorry it's it's awesome and it's super um, visionary of of station f and of you guys to do this and i really really hope that every single other accelerator um, uh, campus, whatever you want to identify yourself as, does something like this because it's also going to be competitively it's a big it's a big competitive advantage, right? So, yeah, totally um, agree. Um, awesome. Thanks uh, for talking about that. I want to switch gears into skincare for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next <topic>. Yeah, <laughs> next topic skincare. I, I would be way more chilled out if your PR guy uh, didn't tell me we had an hour. <laughs> Um, but um no it's a, it's a it's a i'm, I'm i want to talk about because because you you your husband runs typology right is that uh, exactly. the connection yeah. um I, I don't i don't want you to talk about typology if, if you don't if you don't if you're not comfortable with it but it's just such a cool brand and it would be cool to sort of if you could talk a little bit about it uh, and then i'll i'll try and uh, uh email a link to have him on at some point but um it would be cool to talk a little bit about what they're doing and how it's different from the other stuff. Yeah, I, I'm the worst person to pitch it because I'm not Ning. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have him on, but hopefully. But uh, No, uh, but I think, you know, Ning, um, this is not his first company. And I think he absolutely loves building um, a brand, a brand that has meaning, that stands for something. Um, and I think he really saw and he put his hand on an on a opportunity with typology and really a need in the market where 
um, people were looking for, you know, products that just were healthier, uh, more cons conscious of the environment, of people's health, um, and that where you read the label, you actually understand what the hell you're putting on your body. I think yeah. it really comes down to that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's been, do I think it's been, what, two years now that they've been doing this? They've had incredible growth. Yeah. Um, it's been amazing watching him kind of start over. I think it's always hard for a second or a third time entrepreneur, you know, to remember what the beginning was like. Um, and so I've, I've kind of watched him build this whole thing. And yeah, I think, you know, typology, it's been, it's, it's, I think when the, the moment that it gets really exciting is when random people, the people outside your circle start, you know, oh, typology, I've heard about it. I bought the products. Um, and so that's that's the really exciting part. Yeah, and and I, like I said, I would love to have him have him on and talk about it a bit more. But um, I think it's it's really cool, and I just wanted to just wanted to highlight it for a second because I think it's a, it's a great company and what they're doing it looks awesome. So yeah, um, you've interviewed a lot of people over I don't know a decade plus, right? You've been involved now in the tech scene or more, yeah. um, and and you know. Do, are there certain interviewees, people you sat down with and spoke that sort of just stand out? Because you do this so much, right? And you used to do it a lot more than you do it now. Now you're on the other side of it a bit more. Uh, but is there something, some conversation, you know, some person that you were like, I didn't expect that answer or that stands out to you? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um... I mean, Xavier stands out to me a lot for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> and I'm not trying to gain points with my boss. Um, no, I really think that, you know, it, every every time I, I, I catch up with Xavier, I'm just always still amazed by just like how kind of humble he is uh, for someone in his position. And, you know, he's, he still gives us so much room to kind of event, invent and create ourselves and be who we want Station F to be. So I, I think that's, you know, one person that has really just um, still still manages somehow to. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I want I want you to answer, uh, talk about someone else as well. But just while we're on the topic of the future of Station F, right, because this show has no, uh, <laughs> we go wherever we want to go in the show. Uh, <laughs> so we can just, I want to just quickly touch on, you know, let's not forget to talk about Station F's, uh, what you have planned in the future. So let's come back to that yeah, in a second. Yeah, sure. yeah but go um, on. No, but I was going to say, and at Station F, we've had a lot of really kind of high-profile people come. Um, and I think a, what's been interesting is that there's some that are, are different from how you would imagine them and what you see in the press. And stuff Yeah, like that. who's that? So, <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> to be honest, it's Jack Dorsey. <laughs> and, and I was hoping you would bring Jack up, but anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, Jack, was he's really low-key. Um, and so, you know, I was, I guess I, I just... I knew I knew that was a bit his persona, but maybe not to this extent. And what I also really love was he took a full hour. We sat down with a group of our, our startups when he was here, and he really took a lot of time to hear their stories, listen to them, and to encourage them. And I thought coming from Jack, that's something so unique. And another person that just blew my mind, and I still, I mean, I think this was like two or three years ago that he came, um, and he, he, we hosted a private event with um, our entrepreneurs on campus so they could just ask questions. But it was Brian Chesky. Um, and wow, what an energy, what a vision, what charisma, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I think we've had so many incredible people that it's hard for me to just pick a few and, out. And I, and I, and I, and I wanted to, I wanted to ask you the sort of stupid hard question for a reason, right? Because I think, 
I think a lot of the times, at least these days, we, you know, why is startups and why, why is tech so interesting is because 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whenever 2006-ish, uh, whenever Twitter started, and even less uh, for, for Airbnb, right? I think before that, you know, Jack and Brian were doing their thing, right? They were just regular guys and they, and they built amazing companies, amazing products and scaled it up. And it's only been like less than 15 years, 16 years, whatever. And I think that's what's exciting about technology, right? Because we don't know in the next 15 years who is it going to be. So, yeah. and I think what's ex what's interesting to me is that have there's a lot of other sectors and industries where, you know, kind of ego and panache and sort of the external showy things, right, matter more. In tech, I feel like it doesn't because it's about what you actually create. And... And I think it's, and I think what Jack's done recently with, uh, with the buying title or you know ownership and title in Square, and I think it's just it's 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 amazing to see that you know people like this still keep creating, and there's opportunity for so many of us to do it. So that's exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think what really just kind of amazes me is that these people must just be solicited by everyone everywhere they go. Yeah. And still they manage to be so down to earth, so approachable and make time for these entrepreneurs that are just starting out. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I found really just compelling. I would also imagine because I think they still remember how, how they felt, you know, in the early days. And I think and I think because it's not been it's not been 50 years since they started their company. Right. <laughs> so and I think and I think they they. I remember, I think uh, one of my friends, uh, she was she was an early employee at Airbnb and everyone was really excited because of the IPO recently, right? And and, and it's been amazing to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had, a, me and her had a chat uh, about sort of the early days in the, in, in the apartment where they all started. Um, and it's just so cool to see that, you know, that wasn't that long ago, right? And you can create so much value in the world you know, create so much value for individuals, create an awesome company that, you know, has created a new category of of tourism, travel, you know, hospitality. And I think that's exciting. And I think that's why I love building startups and why this is such an exciting industry to be a part of, because uh, it's almost a, a, as pure an industry as you can get, if you know what I mean, right? It's mm -hmm. the There's a lot less bullshit in it, <laughs> so to speak. There yeah. is still in some places, but yeah, a lot less, so while we're on the topic of looking back a little bit right i think what's i think i saw you tweet this or put it up on instagram or something a while back but i think it was about the early days of uber or some other company that was started in, in paris or that the idea came in paris right mm -hmm. or was it la web I'm not, I'm not sure what it was exactly but i think you just said something because you kind of know a lot of these these entrepreneurs personally right you're friends with them or and and you were, you've been in the scene for a while, so you know, you've know you crossed paths multiple times. Are there certain entrepreneurs, uh, men, women, uh, any industry, whose journeys you've sort of been surprised by, in, a, you know, in the sense, positively or negatively, whatever you want to talk about? I just think it's important to talk about the journey more than just the 50 million raise, 100 million raise, or whatever. So. Oh, you're, you're so right. Um because it's about so much more than that. And actually, I get really frustrated with the media sometimes that, you know, it's not the media's fault. I think it's the entire ecosystem that we just tend to focus so much on the financials. You know, are they a unicorn yet? Uh, you know, have they raised so much money? And we actually don't remind people that this is a marathon uh, that we're running. 
um, people's journeys that have inspired me. I mean, there are a lot. I used to run the FailCon conference in France, and um, one of the reasons for that was that I felt it was really necessary to talk about mistakes and errors and learnings. Um, I stopped doing it because one of our, our last edition was, you know, just finally felt like people kind of, we got to a level where people were comfortable enough talking about the topic. I don't think everybody loves or will ever love talking about it, but it was a year that we got so much support and attention that I felt it was a little bit hard to top. Um, but a specific story that comes to mind, my God, I don't actually have one. I think, you know, so many entrepreneurs, when you dig in, uh, you realize that it hasn't just been a straight path. Um, and I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere and we don't realize it. But actually, I don't have a specific one that comes to mind. That's totally fine. And I think it's, it's more important to talk about, you know, an example is always an easy way to remember an, an ideal, right? That's the whole reason to ask about an, a specific story. But I think it's also important to talk about the general, uh, you mentioned something which is interesting is that it's never a straight path. If, and if it is, right, great, you know, you're one in a trillion or whatever. Um, and I think it's it's important to talk about the fact that from the outside in, it might seem like everything's hunky-dory, right? And and things happen really fast. But but maybe we talk about a little bit how Station F has grown. And maybe you can talk a bit about sort of <laughs> yeah, actually, that. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was thinking, you know, I have probably more stuff that I could share about, you know, day to day at Station F. Um, it probably looks like, you know, articles and podcasts yeah. and startups, you know, being successful and tons of companies applying and presidents visiting. And, yeah. and that's all we do. Actually, no, we deal with a lot of a lot of shit um, like building issues. You know, that was kind of for a very long time, like the bane of my existence um, was we have a we're living we're, we're in a historical monument. Um, and it's a very, very difficult space to maintain and to run because uh, the concrete, the entire structure is historical. So we can't touch it. We can't like there's a lot of things that we can and can't do with it. Um, and so it made kind of maintaining this building really complicated. We had in the beginning of Station F, we had to delay our opening uh, because of a flood, a massive flood that we had, um, which ended up going in the press. And we all thought it was catastrophic, but actually only ended up delaying us three months. And in the end, it wasn't such a bad thing because we got to inaugurate with President Macron, who had just been elected. Um, but we also, I think one big thing that we really overlooked, I mean, we overlooked a lot of things and we've had to change a lot from the beginning, but we went around to different startup spaces and were getting inspiration from them, but there was no startup space that was this big and incorporated all these different elements that we have. Um, and so we actually launched Station F without customer service, huge oversight. And I think we discovered very quickly <laughs> how important customer service is. And I still feel like, I mean, we've, we've come a really long way. And today, obviously, we have customer service, but um, it's still not where it should be just because I think it took so long for us to put into place and to really understand uh, that we need it. And we're not just a 300 square meter space we're we're a lot, lot bigger. I think thanks for sharing that. And I think it's really important that people realize right that at the end of the day uh, you're running a service company right to a certain extent right uh, startups apply and they're part of your uh, i mean they get they get a spot right um could you talk a little bit about how what are the different things that startups do and companies do because i know you have you have 
I mean, a variety of large tech companies that have a presence in Station F, as well as smaller startups that are starting out, right? What does it look like right now? Of course, right now it's COVID, so I'm guessing there are some changes in your occupancy rate, but what does it normally look like? Yeah, I mean, actually, COVID, to be honest, has not impacted us that much. I think we're different from, like, um, you know, any other co-working in that Station F kind of has this brand, has this credibility, has this visibility and network that you get, um, you know. So I think we actually saw very few departures. I was expecting, like, a mass, like, a wave of departures, and actually we, we never really had that. Um, we did obviously have a few companies that, that had to leave. Uh, they couldn't afford to be here. They wanted to work differently, you know, what have you. But we also had a massive influx of companies and, and the demand was still there and the demand was a lot stronger than it had been previously, which I think um, that was really fascinating to see. And I think that's maybe, you know, what you have in a crisis is there's a lot more opportunity to create. People were in, lo in lockdown. They had time. They were building things. So we actually got applications with like really solid MVPs, like really good decks the quality was just not what we had seen before. And a lot of people who participated in selection even told us that. Um, so I think the real element on campus that has been impacted is just the events. We obviously can't host live events on campus. That is a part of our business. Um, we've moved everything online. We've created some new offers. It doesn't compensate entirely. It compensates partially. And I do think we will go to uh, being back in live events at some point. I don't think they've disappeared from like our society, but I'm actually also really excited to see the spaces that are the most impacted by COVID. Like I think real estate, travel, events, these spaces, I think that's where you might see some of the best innovations. I couldn't agree more. And I think, and I think there's, there's going to be, I, I just saw a company called Aero. I think it's from the Garrett camp uh, startup studio. Um, forget the name right now just of the studio but um and they just raised a lot of money for you know uh, creating a middle ground of private air travel it's very high end but it's just it's interesting right like i think there's going to be so many innovations coming out for sure um and in terms of the the future of station f right you've how long have you been uh, existing been three and a half years my baby's growing up sorry how many years sorry <laughs> three and a half three and a half exactly um and how, uh, so now you kind of, you know, you kind of know what you're doing to a certain extent, I would imagine, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, at least a little bit, right? Uh, and how, how do you see the next couple of years? Uh, and I think, I don't expect any predictions, but I, I just want to see, like, have you seen any, you know, opportunities that you want to go for? Uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a great question because honestly, a lot of people ask me, okay, what's your next move like career-wise? And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere because we haven't even accomplished like 10% of what we could be doing. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity. Co COVID actually for us was almost like a blessing in disguise because at the three-year mark, it's a great time to start thinking about reinventing. Um, and we started to see a lot of like changes and opportunities and actually it gave us the, the chance to sit down and think, okay, where do you want to go? Um, I think there's a couple of different things that we're going to start to explore today. Station F, I mean, up until COVID, we'd been really focused on a physical experience. You have to be at Station F to meet people, to really get the most value out of the experience. Um, obviously, with COVID, that has changed a lot. And so we're going to look at rolling out a lot more kind of remote and hybrid 
formats. I'm personally very excited about that because I don't live in <laughs> Paris anymore, but I want to. <laughs> I, I think you guys are doing cool stuff. So I'm personally very excited about that part. Super. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're also going to try and cater to, you know, how our entrepreneurs want to work. Uh, so that will be one. The second thing is because it was also a physical, very physical experience, we were catering primarily to startups that would want to work in the type of space that we have, which means seed and pre-seed. And so I think we're going to start looking at, you know, are there ways that we can work with earlier and later stage companies? Um, and then finally, I mean, this has been the case since day one. We have been almost, I want to call it like harassed by international <laughs> players that want to launch, you know, Station B in Brazil. And I was going to say that, yeah. Station R in Russia. And, you know, they reach out to us and they're like, we also have a train station. What can we do? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think we're, we're going to start to to consider, you know, some different possibilities um, for, for collaborating internationally, which has been something we've been quite close to up until now, just because we have had our heads down and we still have a lot of expansion um, real estate wise in Paris that's not completed yet. Um, so, yeah, that gives you a lot of material for how we plan to develop. But Amazing. I think we have exciting uh, and, yeah, and if you need any help in the Nordics, I've only been here a couple of years, but I get around fast. So if you Love need it. any help. <laughs> oh, well, Amst Amsterdam is still Amsterdam is still a place I have some friends, but you have a lot of friends in Amsterdam, too. So, <laughs> you know, Thank uh, you for, for proposing that. Anytime. Um, I want to end uh, start ending the conversation on a slightly more personal note, if you don't mind. Right. Oh, because. Dear. There's a lot of, um, and, and if you don't want to go here, just tell me what we won't talk about it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think a lot of the times in, the, in, in sort of the startup world, right, there's people don't talk about family and people don't talk about, you know, living your life outside of the startup. Right. Um, you started or you, you kind of took over or, or became the director of Station F around the same time you had a baby. Right. Wasn't there wasn't there some overlap there? Yeah, so this is a topic I don't like to talk about, even though, even though people see it in the photo. <laughs> but I'm happy to talk about work-life work balance, if we could just avoid talking about kids. L let's do that. That's totally okay. fine. I, I understand it. I don't okay. post uh, my, my daughter that much either, so I get it. But let's talk about work-life balance. But I think I want to talk about specifically work-life integration, maybe, right? Because like, mm -hmm. I think you, you haven't, clearly you're doing a lot. Clearly it's growing and you're very busy, how does that, how does it integrate? Yeah, um, my gosh, you know, a lot of people when they, when they imagine my job, and I get this question from a lot of journalists, they're like, do you work on the weekends? Do you work nights? Like, is it nonstop? Is it around the clock? Um, and actually, this is a huge change that I made from Microsoft, because at Microsoft, I think I was probably working more hours. I was super disorganized, uh, probably not very focused. Um, saying yes to a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been saying yes to. Um, with Station F, the day that I signed that contract, I knew, you know, just given how big and visible the project is, that we really, we can't be everywhere, we can't do everything, we're going to have to make choices. And if I didn't want to go crazy, I was going to have to set some barriers for myself. Um, so I actually feel like I've been really good, and also I do this with the team, I encourage them, like, turn off your phone, you know, take a weekend and don't check your email, you know, that kind of thing. I really hold myself uh, strongly to that um, because otherwise I just think you don't you don't survive. And so today, one uh, trick that I've figured out that works really well, I don't want, I don't know if it's a trick, but a lot of people get in touch and they ask for a meeting, but actually they just have one question 
And I think that's the real, the real thing that I've discovered is people are scared to just reach out and go, hey, I only want to take two minutes of your time. Here's my question. You can write me back by email. They don't say that. They write, hey, how about a cup of coffee? We get to know each other. And I'm like, well, a cup of coffee, as, as much as I would love to, will probably take five times more time. So I just write it back and tell them as nicely as I can, just ask me your question by email. It's easier for me. And I've discovered that I can respond to so many more people in so much less time. And it's taken out like 80% of the stress in my job. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And I think I have to echo that a little bit because, yeah, I, I became a dad about a year and a half ago. And I had to sort of also realize that I've been wasting so much of my time. Holy shit. Like <laughs> we waste so much time. I, I get as much, if not more done, right? In five, six, seven hours, eight hours a day um, than I did before. I just, am, like you said, I think, you know, uh, reducing the inefficiencies around our life, right? And and it's also probably we're also growing up a little bit, I guess. So, you know, there's a little bit of maturity that comes in there. But uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think there's a lot of people who sort of, uh, you know, there's more tools in our toolbox than a hammer, right? We can we can we can figure yeah. things out. Also, I think what I realized was when I was at Microsoft, I was like, oh, it's got to be my productivity tools are wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so important. <laughs> and then I was like, actually, it has nothing to do with that. It just has to come down to really knowing what are your priorities um, and being able to tell everything, everyone that's not falling into that priority list, I can still help you, but you got to fit into this format. And also, what is your job really, right? I think sometimes people forget, like, I'm guessing majority of the time you're spending writing or organizing, right? Like, it's, it's you're not a developer, right? You're not coding products, right? And I think not just you, I just mean people in general. Like there are developers, there are builders, there are people who do different things. And sometimes kind of quote unquote managers or founders, you know, we sometimes are, oh, we're doing everything. No, 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 <laughs> you're not. You're just making sure the right people are doing things that need to be done. So Yeah, exactly. And also I have to say, uh, I have to give you a lot of credit for being a uh, one of the nicest people in the startup ecosystem in general because you're always you're always polite you're always you don't have to be right <laughs> but you are and it's very 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 refreshing so thank don't you worry for you haven't seen my moods yet no no i know <laughs> but that's why that's why we only talk once every couple of weeks <laughs> um but roxanne uh i don't want to take up too much more of your time uh thank you so much i i really hope this was a little different to your regular uh, media interviews yes, it was a lot of fun uh, and the next time we do it in Paris uh, with a glass of wine or something uh, proper um, in okay. a few months, uh, because the whole point of this show is to sort of, you know, get beyond the headlines and, and get, dig a little deeper. Um, thank you for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. We'll try and link everything we can. If not, people should just go to Station F and, and check it out. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for your time. Super. Thank you for having me.